Hello and welcome to episode four of the Climate Change and Health podcast. I'm Harry Kennard from the UCL Energy Institute. Today's episode is a slight deviation from normal proceedings. I don't have anyone to interview, but with COP26 in Glasgow mere days away, I'm going to attempt to condense the history of the UN Environment and Climate Conferences into a brief podcast. I've been delving into the UN archives to find out what has and hasn't changed in the last 50 years. We begin long before the COP started in 1972. Atmospheric levels of CO2 are around 327 parts per million. Stockholm, Sweden, June 12, 1972. Mrs. Indira Gandhi, Prime Minister of India, arrived today to address the first United Nations Conference on the Human Environment. She was met by the Secretary General of the conference, Mr. Maurice Strong, who escorted Mrs. Gandhi to the rostrum. It is clear that the environmental crisis which is confronting the world will profoundly alter the future destiny of our planet. No one amongst us, whatever our status, strength or circumstance, can remain unaffected. In those days, greenhouse gases were far from central to the agenda. Some of the themes would be recognisable to those who think about the environment and the climate today, but much of the language now sounds very outdated and parts of it even quite strange. There was a framing of health to many of the conference declarations. For example, Principle 7. States shall take all possible steps to prevent pollution of the seas by substances that are liable to create hazards to human health, to harm living resources and marine life, to damage amenities, or to interfere with other legitimate uses of the sea. But carbon dioxide is mentioned only once in Recommendation 57. It is recommended that the Secretary General take steps to ensure proper collection, measurement, and analysis of data relating to the environmental effects of energy use and production within appropriate monitoring systems. The design and operation of such networks should include, in particular, monitoring the environmental levels resulting from emission of carbon dioxide, sulfur dioxide, oxidants, nitrogen oxides, heat, and particulates, as well as those from releases of oil and radioactivity. And climate change in Recommendation 79. That approximately 10 baseline stations be set up, with the consent of the states involved in areas remote from all sources of pollution in order to monitor long-term global trends in atmospheric constituents and properties, which may cause changes in meteorological properties, including climatic changes. Fast forward to 1979, CO2 is up 3% in the five years since Stockholm at 337 parts per million. The first World Climate Conference is convened in Geneva. This wasn't a UN conference per se, but it solidified the evidence base behind anthropogenic climate change, and the scientists in attendance unanimously agreed that action was urgently necessary. It ultimately led in 1988 to the establishment of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. This is the group of scientists who establish what the best available evidence is on global warming, climate change, and its impacts. The next big milestone is the United Nations Conference on the Environment and Development, UNCED, or as it was more popularly known, the Rio Earth Summit. It was June 1992, atmospheric CO2 had hit 360 parts per million. Here's the then UN Secretary General Murray Strong in the run-up to the conference. So this will be the first global summit conference ever mandated uh, as, as such. Uh, and if it's, it, in my view, its success is going to be difficult to achieve. But whether 
it succeeds or fails. And I can't, I think failure is unthinkable, uh, uh, but it will be a great historic event and it will be one of the gr most important events of our times. The people say, well, what do you think, why, you know, why is it, why are you so optimistic? Well, I'm a realist, I'm a pretty practical person, but I believe we'll succeed because we have to succeed. There is no option, and if we don't, when, we, when in our times will we get the leaders of all the countries in the world to get together again to address these issues? And will it, will it not be too late by the time we wait uh, uh, for another opportunity in, which might not come for a generation? So it will be a histor an historic event, and that's why we, you know, we have to do everything possible to ensure that during this process of build-up to it, there, we, the people of the world understand the importance of the decisions to ta ta be taken there and that the power of the people is behind the, the leaders who assemble at the summit, that the summit isn't just detached from its base. You'll recognize that his words sound quite familiar in the context of UN conferences on the climate. One of the central outcomes to this meeting was the establishment of the Framework Convention on Climate Change, the UNFCCC. The objective of that convention was the stabilization of greenhouse gas concentrations in the atmosphere at a level that would prevent dangerous anthropogenic interference with the climate system. But one of the weaknesses of this convention is the ambiguous wording. What does dangerous mean? And crucially, who is it dangerous for? One of the results of the UNFCCC was the agreement to meet yearly at the Conference of Parties, or COPs. The first one of major note is the Kyoto Conference in 1997. This was COP3. Atmospheric levels of CO2 had hit 364 parts per million. The result of this conference was to extend the UN Framework Convention and establish broad outlines on emissions targets. But nothing was binding or particularly ambitious. US lawmakers refused to ratify the agreement as it contained no requirements for commitments from developing nations. And without the support of the world's largest emitter of greenhouse gases, the treaty was doomed to fail. Later, Canada would withdraw. Twelve years after that, hopes were incredibly high for a meaningful improvement on Kyoto as leaders met in Copenhagen at COP15. Emissions had grown 40% since the Kyoto meeting, and CO2 in the atmosphere had reached 387 parts per million. The outcome of this meeting was total failure. Only a weak political statement resulted, Negotiators returned to the drawing board. And then, 18 years after Kyoto, Paris, 2015, COP21. CO2 had passed 400 parts per million in the atmosphere. La salle, je vois que la réaction est positive. Je n'entends pas d'objection. L'accord de Paris pour le climat est accepté. This agreement in enhancing the implementation of the convention, including its objective aims to strengthen the global response to the threat of climate change, in the context of sustainable development and efforts to eradicate poverty, including by A, holding the increase in the global average temperature to well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels and pursuing efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, recognizing that this would significantly reduce the risks and impacts of climate change. B, increasing the ability to adapt to the adverse impacts of climate change and foster climate resilience and low greenhouse gas emissions development in a manner that does not threaten food production. And C, making finance flows consistent with a pathway towards low greenhouse gas emissions and climate resilient development. So what's left to be done? 
Well, even though the Paris Agreement finally established a framework which covered global emissions, one which followed the recommendations of the IPCC in limiting warming to well below 2 degrees C, and required each nation to submit and update their nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, it still faces many hurdles. It ultimately isn't binding, and it relies on the goodwill of each nation to establish the emissions cuts necessary to avoid this warming. And so that takes us to COP26 in Glasgow, which is the deadline for improving on commitments after Paris. Let's hear from the now UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, on where things stand. On Friday, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change issued a report on the national determined contributions, the commitments of all parties to the Paris Agreement. Based on the present commitments of member states, the world is on a catastrophic pathway to 2.7 degrees of heating, instead of the 1.5 we all agree should be the limit. And science tells us indeed that anything above 1.5 degrees would be a disaster. To limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees, we need a 45% cut in emissions by 2030, so we can reach carbon neutrality by mid-century. Instead, the commitments made until now by countries imply an increase of 16% in greenhouse gas emissions, not a decrease of 45%, an increase of 16% in greenhouse gas emissions in 2030 compared to 2010 levels. And this means that unless we collectively change course, there is a high risk of failure of COP26. So today I ask leaders to do what is needed to make sure COP26 is a success and that it marks a true turning point. So there we have it. We are once again at a critical juncture for the world's climate. Emissions are still rising. The reductions seen as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic have been reversed. There are signs of hope if you look hard enough, but whether anything meaningful results from COP26, we'll find out soon enough. You've been listening to the Climate Change and Health Podcast. I'm Harry Kennard, and if you'd like to get in touch, you can find me on Twitter. I'd like to acknowledge the audio clips included in this podcast. They come from the UN Audiovisual Library. You can find that at www.unmultimedia.org forward slash AV library. I'd also like to thank Anna Corot for reading out the UN declarations, and of course, Kevin McLeod for supplying the music. Finally, I'd like to point you towards the work that members of the Bartlett Faculty of the Built Environment have been doing in the run-up to COP. These podcasts fit into that work. You can have a look at a whole host of resources related to climate change and buildings at www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash Bartlett forward slash together hyphen climate hyphen action. Please have a look and thanks very much for listening.